That's Matthew 27, 51 through 54. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook with the rocks and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. At this time, our brother Dean will bring us this morning's message. Have you ever been disappointed? <laughs> I uh, had arranged for a special very, very special church service t today, and my friend who was going to do this called me at the last minute and said, sorry, I can't make it, and uh, so we will have him in the future. He's a rather famous gospel singer, beautiful, beautiful tenor voice, sings like an angel. He was going to have our entire service t today, and you don't want to hear me sing up here, so in any event, uh, he will be coming in a few weeks um, uh, later on. He had a death in his immediate family and he had to sing at that service this uh, weekend. Rather quickly, when I heard these words on the phone from him, it came into my mind, uh, what am I going to talk about? Um, a subject I love to ponder and contemplate is the resurrection of our Lord. And I began to think about it and I could think of nothing else that I would want to do. So this morning, our the title of my sermon will be, Jesus' Resurrection is Our Resurrection. And I'm taking it largely from a Bible commentary on the life of Christ and uh, the, the resurrection with a few of my own thoughts sprinkled in. The Lord is risen. The night of the first day of the week had worn slowly away. The darkest hour just before daybreak had come. Christ was still a prisoner in, the, in his narrow tomb. The great stone was in its place. The Roman seal was unbroken. The Roman guards were keeping their watch, and there were unseen watchers around that place. Hosts of evil angels were gathered about the place. Had it been possible, the prince of darkness with his apostate army would have kept forever sealed the tomb with the Son of God inside. But heavenly hosts surrounded the sepulcher. Angels that excel in strength were guarding the tomb, waiting to welcome the Prince of Life. And behold, there was a great earthquake, says the scripture, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, clothed with the panoply of God. This angel left the heavenly courts. The bright beams of God's glory went before him and illuminated his pathway. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers, meaning the soldiers, did quake. And they became as dead men. Now the priests and rulers were as, where is the power of your guard? Brave soldiers who have never been afraid of any human power are now as captives taken without sword or spear. 
The face they look upon is not the face of a mortal warrior. It is the face of the mightiest of the Lord's host. This messenger, as he who fills the position from which Satan fell, it is he who on the hills of Bethlehem proclaimed Christ's birth. The earth trembles at his approach. The host of darkness flee. As he rolls away the stone, heaven seems to come down to earth. That angel that sat on the stone was, as it were, saying to Satan, now what are you going to do about it? The soldiers are, see him removing the stone as it were a pebble and hear him cry, Son of God, come forth. Thy father calls thee. Thy father calls thee. They see Jesus come forth from the grave and hear him proclaim over the rent sepulcher, I am the resurrection and the life. As he comes forth in majesty and glory, the angel hosts bow low in adoration before the Redeemer and welcome him with songs of praise. An earthquake marked the hour when Christ laid down his life and another earthquake witnessed the moment when he took it up in triumph. He who had vanquished death and gave in the grave came forth from the tomb with the tread of a conqueror amid the reeling of the earth and the flashing of lightning and the roaring of thunder. You see, the earth that God created, Jesus created, knew its maker, did it not? When he shall come to the earth again, he will shake not the earth only, but also heaven. At the death of Jesus, the soldiers had beheld the earth wrapped in darkness at midday. But at the resurrection, they saw the brightness of the angels illuminate the night and heard the inhabitants of heaven singing of great joy and triumph. Thou hast vanquished Satan and the powers of darkness. Thou hast swallowed up death in victory. And remember Paul tells us, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy victory? Christ came forth from the tomb glorified, and the Roman guard beheld him. Their eyes were riveted upon the face of him whom they had so recently mocked and derided. In this glorified being, they beheld the prisoner whom they had seen in the judgment hall, the one for whom they had plaited a crown of thorns. This was the one who had stood unresisting before Pilate and Herod, his form lacerated by the cruel beating. This was he who had been nailed to the cross, at whom the priests and the rulers, full of self-satisfaction, had wagged their heads, saying, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. What a prophecy they gave that day. It was true. He could not save himself and save us at the same time. Matthew 27, 42. This was he who had been laid in Joseph's new tomb. The decree of heaven had loosed the captive. Mountains piled upon mountains over his sepulcher could not have kept the Son of God in that tomb. At the sight of the angels and the glorified Savior, the Roman guard had fainted to become as dead men. When the heavenly train was hidden from their view, they arose to their feet as quickly as their trembling, wobbling limbs could carry them. They made their way to the gate of the garden, staggering like drunken men. They hurried to the city, telling those whom they met the wonderful news. They were making their way towards Pilate. A strange appearance those soldiers presented, trembling with fear, their faces colorless. They bore the testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord. The soldiers told all, just as, he had, just as they had seen it. 
They had not had time to think or speak anything but the truth. Remember, Jesus told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. With painful utterance, they said, it was the Son of God who was crucified. We have heard an angel proclaiming this, and proclaiming him as the majesty of heaven, the king of glory. So said the soldiers. The faces of the priest were as those of the dead. Caiaphas tried to speak. His lips moved, but they uttered no sound. The soldiers were about to leave the council room when a voice stayed them. Caiaphas had at last found his speech. Wait, wait, he said. Tell no one the things you have seen. A lying report was then given to the soldiers. Say ye, said the priest. His disciples came by might and stole him away while he slept. So says the scripture. Here the priests overreached themselves. The soldiers were horrified at the thought of bringing upon themselves the charge of sleeping at their post. That was an offense punishable with death, and they knew it. How could they stand the trial, even for the sake of money, if they perjured themselves? The priest promised to secure the safety of the soldiers. The Roman soldiers sold their integrity to the Jews for money. They came in before the priest burdened with a most startling message of truth. They went out with a burden of money and on their tongues a lying report which they had been framed for them by the priests. When Jesus was laid in the grave, Satan thought he had triumphed. He dared to hope that the Savior would not take up his life again. He claimed the Lord's body and set his guard about the tomb, seeking to hold Christ a prisoner. He was bitterly angry when his angels fled at the approach of the heavenly messengers. When he saw Christ come forth in triumph, he knew that his kingdom would have an end. At that moment, he knew. And he knew that he must finally die one day. The priest, in putting Christ to death, had made themselves the tools of Satan. Now they were entirely in his power. They were entangled in a snare from which they saw no escape, but, in, but to continue their warfare against Christ. When they heard the report of his resurrection, they feared the wrath of the people. They felt that their own lives were in danger. The only hope for them was to prove Christ an imposter by denying that he had risen. They bribed the soldiers and secured Pilate's silence. They spread their lying reports far and near, but there were witnesses whom they could not silence. Many had heard of the soldiers' testimony to Christ's resurrection, and certain of the dead who came forth with Christ appeared to many and declared that he had risen. Reports were brought to the priests of persons who they had seen, the risen ones, and heard their testimony. And the rulers were in continual dread, lest walking in the streets or within the privacy of their own homes, they would come face to face with Christ. They felt there was no safety for them. Bolts and bars were poor protection against the Son of God. By day and night, that awful scene of the judgment hall, when they had cried, His blood be on us and on our children, was before them. Matthew 27, 25. 
Nevermore would the memory of that scene fade from their minds the rest of their lives. Nevermore would they have peaceful sleep when they laid down on their pillow. When the voice of the mighty angel was heard at Christ's tomb saying, Thy father calls thee, the Savior came forth from the grave by the life that was in himself. Now he was proved the truth of his words. I lay down my life that I might take it again. And also, he said, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Now is fulfilled the prophecy that he had spoken to the priests and the rulers. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. John ten seventeen. Over the rent sepulcher of Joseph, Christ had proclaimed in triumph, I am the resurrection and the life. These words could be spoken only by the deity. All created beings live by the will and the power of God. Every heartbeat, every breath is by his power. They are dependent recipients of the life of God from the highest to the humblest inanimate being. All are replenished from the source of life. Only he who is one with God could say, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it again. In his divinity, Christ possessed the power to break the bonds of death. Christ arose from the dead as the first fruits of those that slept. The first fruits. So Christ, the first fruits, represented the greatest spiritual harvest to be gathered for the kingdom of God. His resurrection is the type and pledge of the resurrection of our righteous dead. Now in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, we have a great truth here. Normally, I love the King James Version. However, there is a version, the New Living Translation, that translates the verse in either greater dimension and greater thrust than the one I'm used to. Here it is. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. He'll bring back with him the believers who have died. They were those who had been co-laborers with Christ. As Christ arose, he brought from the grave a multitude of captive ones. And they were those that had died as co-laborers with God, who at the cost of their lives had borne testimony to the truth. Now they were to be witnesses for him who had raised them from the dead during his ministry, Jesus had raised the dead to life. You remember the widow of Nain and her son. You remember Jairus' daughter. Of course, you remember Lazarus. After they were raised, they were still subject to death again. But those who came forth from the grave at Christ's resurrection were raised to everlasting life. They ascended with him as trophies of his victory over death in the grave. These, said Jesus, are no longer the captives of Satan. They are mine. And he says that to us today, should we choose to serve him. They are mine. They ascended with him as trophies of his victory over death. I have redeemed them, I have bought them, and I have brought them from the grave as the first fruits of my power to be with me where I am, never more to see death or ever to experience sorrow. These went into the city. They appeared unto many, according to Scripture, declaring Christ was risen from the dead, and we will be risen with him 
Thus was immortalized the sacred truth of the resurrection. The risen saints bore witness to the truth of the words. The dead men shall live together with my dead body shall they arise. Their resurrection was an illustration of the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah 26:19. Awake and sing ye that dwell in dust, and the earth shall cast out her dead. His words are very appropriate for our church at this time. To the believer, Christ is the resurrection and the life. In our Savior, the life that was lost through sin is restored, for he has life in himself to quicken whom he will. He is invested with the right to give immortality, the life that he laid down in humanity, he takes up again and gives to humanity. I am come, he said, that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Whosoever drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He also said, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. That's present tense, my friend. If we bathe our minds with scripture, if we saturate our minds with the words of the Bible... This is what Jesus is talking about. And then he says our promise that we love. I will rise, raise him up at the last day. John 10.10 10. To the believer, death is but a small matter. Christ speaks of it as if it were a little moment. If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death, he shall never taste of death. To the Christian, death is but a sleep, a moment of silence and darkness. The life is hid with Christ in God, and when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. John eight fifty one. I'm reminded of a mini sermon I I got a hold of of HMS Richard Sr. He had this beautiful, beautiful commentary on this subject and talked about it's the same thing as if you've had surgery, you go to sleep with an anesthetic and you wake up. You don't know how much time has passed, whether it's five minutes or three hours, you have no idea. It's the same thing with this. Same thing with death, whether it's five minutes, a year, ten years, hundred thousand years, doesn't matter. We'll see the face of Jesus again. Christ speaks of it as if it were a little moment. If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Jesus means earthly death is not the issue. It's the eternal death that's the issue, if one chooses that. The voice that cried out from the cross, it is finished, was heard among the dead. It pierced the walls of the sepulchers and summoned the sleepers to arise. Thus will it be when the voice of Christ shall be heard from heaven. That voice will penetrate the graves and unbar the tombs. The dead in Christ shall arise from their dusty beds, my friends. At the Savior's resurrection, a few graves were opened, but at the second coming, all the precious dead shall hear his voice and shall come forth to glorious immortal life. The same power that raised Christ from the dead will raise his church and glorify with him above all principalities, above all powers, above every name that is named in all the earth, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. The last section we'll have today for a few moments is a collage of 
Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20, entitled, Why Weepest Thou? Why Weepest Thou? The woman who had stood by the cross of Christ waited and watched for the hours of the Sabbath to pass on. On the first day of the week, says Scripture in Matthew, very early they made their way to the tomb, taking with them precious spices to anoint the Savior's body. They did not think about his rising from the dead. The sun of their hope had set. The night had settled down upon their hearts. As they walked, they recounted Christ's works of mercy and his words of comfort. But he was no longer with them. But they remembered not his words, I will see you again, John 16, 22. Ignorant of what was even then taking place, they drew near the garden, saying as they went, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? They knew that they could not remove it themselves, but they kept on their way. And lo, the heavens were suddenly alight with a glory that came not from the rising sun. The earth trembled. They saw that the great stone was already rolled away. The grave was empty. Mary of Magdala was the first to reach the place. And upon seeing that stone was removed, she hurried away to tell the disciples. Meanwhile, other women came up. As they lingered about the place, suddenly they saw that they were not alone. A young man clothed in shining garments was sitting on the tomb. It was the angel who had rolled away the stone. He had taken the guise of humanity that he might not alarm and frighten these friends of Jesus. Yet about him the light of the heavenly glory was still shining, and the women were afraid. They turned to flee, but the angel's words stayed their steps. Fear not ye, he said, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Again they look into the tomb and again they hear the wonderful news. Another angel in human form is there. And he says, why seek ye the living among the dead? A little humor thrown in there. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified, and the third day shall rise again. He is risen, he is risen. The women repeat the words again and again. No need now for the anointing spices. They left them at the place. The Savior is living and not dead. They remember now that when speaking of his death, he said that he would rise again. What a day is this to the world. Quickly, the women departed from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. They did run to bring the disciples' word. Can't you see them running? Mary had not heard the good news yet. She went to Peter and John with a sorrowful message that they had taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. And we know not where they've laid him. The disciples hurried to the tomb and found it as Mary had said. They saw the shroud and the napkin, but they did not find the Lord. Yet even here was testimony that he had risen. It was Christ himself who had placed the grave clothes with such care. When the mighty angel came down to the tomb, he was joined by another who with his company had risen, 
had been keeping the guard ever over the Lord's body. As the angel from heaven rolled away the stone and entered the tomb and unbound the wrappings from the body of Jesus, but it was the Savior's hand that had folded each and laid it in its place. Christ, who guides alike the star and the atoms and the space and the planets, there is nothing unimportant. Order and perfection are seen in all his work. Mary had followed John and Peter to the tomb. When they returned to Jerusalem, she remained. As she looked into the empty tomb, grief filled her heart. Looking in, she saw two angels, one at the head and the other at the foot where Jesus had lain. Woman, the angel asked, why weepest thou? And Mary said, because they've taken away my Lord. She answered, and I know not where they've laid him. Then she turned away, even from the angels, thinking that she must find someone who could tell her what had been done with her Lord. Another voice addressed her. This is one of the most poignant words in Scripture. Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? Through her tear-dimmed eyes, Mary saw the form of a man, and thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. But now, in his own familiar voice, Jesus said to her, Mary, and now she knew that it was not a stranger who was addressing her. And she saw turning, she saw before her the living Christ. In her joy, she forgot that he had been crucified, springing toward him as if to embrace his feet. She said, Rabboni, and Christ raised his hand, saying, Detain me not. For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. And Mary went her way to the disciples with a joyful message. Now, my friends, I want to emphasize something here that is so meaningful to me, and I think it is to you as well. Jesus said to Mary of Magdala, that downcast woman, I ascend to my Father and your Father. Jesus links us with himself. He didn't say it once, but he said it twice. And then he said, and to my God and your God. And Mary went her way to the disciples with a joyful message. Jesus refused to receive the homage of his people until he had assurance that his sacrifice was accepted by his Father. He ascended to the heavenly courts and from God himself heard the assurance that his atonements for the sins of men had been ample, that through his blood all might gain eternal life. That means everyone in presence today in this church. The Father ratified the covenant with Christ that he would receive repentant and obedient men and would love them even, here it is again the third time, my friends, the Father would love them, you and me, as though they were brothers and sisters of Jesus himself. Would love them even as he loves his own son. Christ was to complete his work and fulfill his pledge to make a man more precious than gold, as Isaiah has told us in Isaiah 13, 12. 
Man is more precious than gold. All power in heaven and earth was given to the prince of life, and he returned to his followers in a world of sin that he might impart to them of his power and glory, even to the point of making breakfast on an early morning in the fog with his disciples, with bread and fish. While the Savior was in God's presence receiving gifts for his church, the disciples thought upon his empty tomb, mourned and wept even at that point. The day that was a day of rejoicing in all of heaven was to the disciples a day of uncertainty, confusion, and perplexity. Their belief in the testimony of the women gives evidence, their unbelief in the testimony of the women gives evidence to how their faith had sunk, how low it had been. The news of Christ's resurrection was so different from what they had anticipated that they could not believe it. It was too good to be true. Yeah, they thought. They had heard so much of the doctrines and of the so-called scientific theories of the Sadducees that the impression made on their minds in regard to the resurrection was vague. They scarcely knew what the resurrection from the dead could mean. They were unable to take in the great subject. Tell his disciples... Here we have another moment in Scripture that's so precious. Tell his disciples and Peter, Peter, who had denied him publicly in front of Jesus, had spent three years with him. Peter denied his Lord. And Jesus, wanting to help Peter not be so depressed, said, Tell his disciples and Peter. What a place in Scripture. And the angel said, since the death of Christ, Peter had been bowed down with remorse. His shameful denial of the Lord and the Savior's look of love and anguish that night were ever before him. Just as Paul's killing of the Christians was ever before him the rest of his life. Oh, of all the disciples he had suffered most bitterly, to him the assurance is given that his repentance is accepted and that his sin is forgiven. He is mentioned by name. Does Jesus know your name and my name? Yeah, I think he does. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There ye shall see him. All the disciples had forsaken Jesus, and the call to meet him again includes them all. He has not cast them off. When Mary from Magdala told them that she had seen the Lord, and by the way, of all the people that Jesus had encountered in his earthly life, of all the people, I think it was a heaven-sent arrangement that it would be Mary of Magdala that would be the first to see the risen Lord. And a third time the message was sent to them. After he had ascended to the Father, Jesus appeared to the woman saying, All hail! And when they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him, then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. She love those words. Be not afraid, fellow Christians. Go, tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Christ's first work on earth after his resurrection was to convince his disciples of his undiminished love and tender regard for them. What a forgiving Savior. To give them proof that he was their living Savior that he had broken the fetters of the tomb, that he could no longer be held by that enemy death. He had conquered death. To reveal 
that he had the same heart of love as when he was with them as their beloved teacher. He appeared to them again and again after the resurrection. He would draw the bonds of love even closer around them. Go tell my brethren, he said, that they meet me in Galilee. So they heard this appointment so definitely given. The disciples began to think of Christ's words to them for telling his resurrection. But even now they did not rejoice. They could not cast off their doubt and perplexity. Even when the women declared that they had seen the Lord, the disciples could not believe. They thought them under an illusion. Paul said something about we see through a glass darkly. Do we see, still see through a glass darkly today sometimes? They had, could not cast off their doubt and perplexity. Even when the women declared that they had seen the Lord, the disciples would not believe. They thought them an illusion. Trouble seemed crowding upon trouble. On the sixth day of the week, they had seen their master die on a cross outside Jerusalem. The first day of the week, they found themselves deprived of his body. And thirdly, they were accused of having stolen it away for the sake of deceiving the people. They were in big trouble. They despaired of ever correcting the false impressions that were gaining ground against them. They feared the enmity of the priests and the wrath of the people. They knew their lives were in danger. They longed for the presence of Jesus, who had helped them in every perplexity. Often they repeated the words, We trusted that it had been he which should redeem Israel. Lonely and sick at heart, they remembered his words. If I do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? The upper chamber and the closed door fastened, knowing that the fate of their beloved teacher might at any time be theirs, and all the time that they might have been rejoicing in the knowledge of a risen Savior in the garden, they were weeping and perplexed and discouraged. Perhaps that's so much like us at times. In the garden, Mary had stood weeping when Jesus was right there. My friends, I think when our life is the darkest, that's when Jesus is the closest. Her eyes were so blinded by the tears that she did not discern him. And the hearts of the disciples were, were so full of grief that they did not believe the angel's messages and the words of Christ himself. Amazing. How many are still doing what these disciples did? How many echo Mary's dis despairing cry? They have taken away my Lord, and we do not know where they have laid him. And he was standing right there. To how many might the Savior's words be spoken? Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? He is close beside them, but their tear-dimmed eyes do not discern him. He speaks to them, but they do not understand. Oh, that the bowed heads might be lifted, that the eyes might be opened to behold him, that the ears might listen to his voice. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen. Bid them look not to Joseph's new tomb, that was closed with a great stone, but sealed with a Roman seal. Christ is not there. Look not to the empty sepulcher. Mourn not as those who are hopeless and helpless. Jesus lives, and he, because he lives, we shall live also. From grateful hearts, from lips touched with holy fire, let the angels and the glad song ring out. Christ is risen. He lives to make intercession for us. Grasp this hope, and it will hold the soul like a sure 
tried anchor. Believe and thou shalt see the glory of the Lord. A few points just in, this is really the closing now. <laughs> um, if we can go away with just these few points today, it'll all have been worthwhile. Number one, at the cross and then the resurrection, Satan knew that he was doomed. He knew that he would die and forever be gone. This mighty angel who was beside the throne of God knew at last that he would be eternally gone. And hopefully his memory would be forgotten forever in the new earth. Number one. Number two, the words, I am the resurrection and the life, could only have been spoken by God himself. No other great preacher, no other great teacher in all of human history has ever said those words. And it was true. Number three, Jesus knows our name. He knows who we are in a personal way. When he said, go tell the disciples and Peter, that tells us that he is there for the most discouraged. He mentions Peter by name, Peter who had sinned one of the greatest sins and he publicly rejected Jesus, his Savior and his friend. Number four, when Jesus told Mary, I ascend to my father and your father, and my God, and your God. Oh, what a truth. We can really believe, according to Scripture, that Jesus identifies us as brothers and sisters of him. And we know that when God looked down on the cross and saw his own son, he was looking at my sins and your sins that was on Jesus. Number five. Christ's resurrection is a guarantee that all who have accepted him and asked for forgiveness of sins will be raised when Jesus comes. They'll come out of their dusty beds when Jesus comes. Because he arose, we will arise. What a truth, what a joy to go about our lives every day as we face trials, troubles, and tribulations. We can remember that. Because Jesus rose, we will also rise. Amen and amen. O Jesus, our Redeemer, may we always remember in our earthly pathway that we're just pilgrims here, going on a journey to your kingdom, to the eternal gates of the New Jerusalem, there to enjoy the splendors of eternity forever and ever. Lord, help us to always remember that because you rose from the grave, we will also arise should we go to sleep before you come. Bless your holy name, in Jesus' name.